Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Um, I'm going to stick with the sports theme as we get into the sermon. Uh, Every week, I tell you to go be the church. And I say, this is just a building, this is just an organization, who's the church? And see, the truth of the matter is, the way it works is, this is just the locker room. The game is outside those doors. Like, when, when you come here, hopefully Coach Sean is able to give you a little bit of God's word, give you the gospel, get you ready to get in the game for Jesus, right? This is the locker room. And what I find time and time again is we don't come ready. I mean, how many times have you come to church and been like, oh, I guess, I hope God shows up today, whatever. And you're just buying time. Should we not come expecting God to speak to us? Should we not come expecting the Spirit of God to touch us in some way, even if it's in a small way? It may not be a massive Thing every week, but in some way, shouldn't God be speaking to us? Are we ready tonight? Are we ready to hear from God? Okay, so here's the thing. Um, I find church folk, we're really good at being like, hey, we're ready. It's awesome. Praise the Lord. I want you to watch. It's just a 30-second video of some high school kids uh, getting ready for their football game. And then let's see if you're ready. Go ahead. It's a minute-long video. We had to cut it out because there's always that one guy that flips off the camera, right? That was like two seconds from that. I was sweating that they weren't going to cut that in time. Don't be that guy, okay? But we ready? All right. So we're going to get into God's Word today. We're going to get right into um, Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. I would love it if you're able to, if you can stand in honor of God's Word, and we're going to read from the word of the Lord. My scripture reader called in sick today, so you're looking at him, all right? Verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, let me read that again. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to get right to it. If you have your outline, um, number one in your outline is this. It's not about you. It is not about you. Um, Rick Warren wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. I think it's the second bestseller in all history. The Bible's first, and then he sold like 38 million books, which is astounding. And I read it. Um, I don't remember anything about the book except for the first line in the book. And the first line in the book is, it's not about you. See, here, here's, here's the, 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 the truth, truth of the matter. Your purpose in life is greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your purpose in life is actually greater than, than your own happiness. Your purpose in life is greater than your own pleasure. It's greater than your own family even. And, and I, I, met a guy, I met a guy at the gym recently, and he had this cool tattoo. It said family on his forearm. I, and I was talking to him about it. I said, what's that for? And he goes, oh, I live my life for my family. And I thought, I, I thought to myself, that's awesome. That's a noble thing. But I thought, man, your purpose in life is so much greater than that because family will come and go. And they'll let you down. I didn't tell him that because he was big and scary. But um, <laughs> just let him go. Your purpose in life is greater than your job. It's greater than your, than your um, the things that you're accumulating. It's greater than the, the, than the things your children are accumulating, the awards they're accumulating. All of those things. You actually have a greater purpose in life. And until you figure this out, that your purpose in life begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And until you, if, if, if you don't figure that out, you will struggle in life. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. You'll have some good things happen. You'll have some bad things happen. But um, I kind of, well, I, I like, let, let, let me read you verse, verse 4 real quick, and then, then I'll tell you a story. Paul says this. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. So Paul, Paul always thanks God for them because of his grace. His grace is the game changer. His grace is the thing that actually activates your faith. And um, so when I, when I first moved to Fresno, I was driving around. We were looking for places to live, right? And um, I don't know how people, like, navigated a new city before GPS. I'm just letting you know. Like, I don't know how you got around. I, I mean, I vaguely remember it as a, as a, a young adult, you know, like, kids, here, here's the thing. Where are my high schoolers at? We got high schoolers in the room right now? Oh, that way, way to go, guys. Okay, way to be in church, by the way. So anyways, back in the day before this, you had to like get directions from people. And they'd be like, go four blocks down. You'll see crazy Charlie standing on the corner. He's got a tick. And ask him, he'll tell you to walk seven steps and turn left. You go around the crackhead. And then there's a giant bush. The bush is purple, okay? If you miss the purple bush, you're never going to find it. You might as well go home. I mean, this was instructions before that. And I remember, I, 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 I'm new to a town, so I pop into my GPS because I'm looking for this, um, this house, and it's on winery. It's on North Winery. I had no idea. In Fresno, there's like North Winery, South Winery, Northeast Winery, Normal Winery, Winery Lane, Winery Avenue, like, and none of them connect. 
So I, I'm typing in da-da-da-da-da, North Winery, and Google, being so smart, Google Maps brings up an address. So we drive to that address, and it's like out there. I mean, we drove forever, and I'm like, man. We get in the neighborhood, and, and you know, we're, we're, I don't think this is, is it. So we pull up to this house. It has the number. There's no for sale sign. I'm like, I don't think it's for sale. <laughs> go check. You go check. <laughs> you know, it's one of those. So finally I get out. I go knock on the door. Hi, is your house for sale? No. Boom. Slams the door on me. I'm like, huh. So I, I come walking back to the car and there's a guy walking his dog. And I'm like, hey, is this the, the North Winery? He goes, oh, no, man. This is South Winery. And I go, well, how do I get to th this one? He goes, ah, you can't get there from here. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, are you about to get like, puts the lotion on the skin? He's going to kidnap me or something? <laughs> um, he says, oh, no, that's what I mean. He goes, plug it in in your GPS is North Winery, and it's going to send you a million different ways. And I said, the, the winery doesn't connect? He's like, nah, they're all over the place. So here's what I want you to know. If Jesus Christ is not the beginning point and the end point for your purpose in life, you will drive around lost your whole life. You will be looking for things, and those things might, oh, here's a house. Oh, here's a, here's a marriage. Oh, here's a job. Oh, here my kids went to college. And, and you'll go through life, but in the end, you will be in deep regret because you were made by God for God for a purpose for God. God loves you so much though, he's given you all the free will you want that you can choose to live out the purpose he's made you for or you can try and find your own. So, I have a, um, a friend. I saw him, it had to be like a year or two ago at the gym. I, I didn't really know him at the time. And um, it was, remember the old GB3 gym on Nice? That place was filthy. They had like bacteria the size of giant sea turtles walking around. Like it was, I'm so glad he moved out of there. But anyways, um, it was at that one. And I remember I'm, I'm walking to my car and I hear, pastor. And I'm like, oh no. Because <laughs> it was like an angry pastor. And I go, hi, pastor. And I was, pastor, you know, kind of thing. I look and it's this dude and he looks kind of scary. And um, he's like, Grr! And I'm like, okay. So I come walking over to him and... Um, and you just never know what the conversation is going to be. And I'm thinking, okay, what, what did I say this week to offend him? And he, he be, begins to, he's not mad. He just begins to unload. He's telling me just what a wreck his life is. And what a wreck his relationships are and his, his marriage and the sin he's wrapped up in and how much worse his wife is and, you know, that kind of thing. And... Um, I've learned along the way, like, in those moments, like, all you do is listen. Like, I don't need to, I don't have the words to fix this guy. Because here, here's what I've really learned, and I tell this to young pastors all the time, is that people are not projects to be fixed. They're mysteries to be wondered at. They're perfectly capable of being used by God in whatever sinful state they're in. You have to understand that. And so many times, guys, as a church, we treat people as projects. Like, oh, you're not there yet. We'll get you there. Like, assuming, like, you're there kind of thing. And, and, and that, that's not how, that's, that's not true. 
And the truth of the matter is, that guy, even in his, in his state where he was just broken and hurting and, and really struggling with sin and all that, God still was capable of using this guy to do something. So I just listened to him, and then I have a friend that, um, and he was asking me for advice, and I have a friend, and he's a mentor to me, and he, he just has a phrase he, he just likes to live by, and he'll just say it. He'll say, well, what's the right thing to do? Not what you want to do. Not what you think you should do. What is the right thing to do? And I just said, well, What's the right thing to do? And he's, you, know, you could see the look on his face like, oh, no, I can't do that. And, you know, so I just said, and he didn't, he kind of beat around the bush with it. And I just said, well, can I pray for you? And I prayed for him and moved along and would see him occasionally at church. And so I hadn't seen him in a long time. And yesterday, actually, before the Saturday night service, I was working out. Can you tell? Anyway, so, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um. And I'm in the CrossFit room, you know, and this big, giant, scary dude is, like, looking through the window going. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hey. So I finish what I'm doing. I walk out. I go, how's it going, man? He goes, I am on fire for the Lord right now, man. He's like, doesn't care about who's in the gym at the moment. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, you know, and he, he begins to tell me just what's going on in his life. He's like, you know, my wife and I are back together and, and we're just, we're, we're, we're seeking God and we're following the Lord. And it's just been, it's been really cool. And um, I, sa- I said, well, what changed? He goes, I stopped being an idiot. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I was so focused on what she, she was not. And her flaws and what she was not to me and, and who, who, who she needed to be to make me happy. And it was about me, me, me. And I finally just decided I'm going to keep my side of the street clean. Because I got enough wrong with me that's probably not helping her either. And he began to work on that. And he said, I had this guy I was working with. And, um, you know, I, I had all my friends at the gym. And all my friends at the gym were like, dude, leave her. She sucks. You're a good-looking dude. There's lots of girls that would get with you. Be, you could have any girl you want in this gym. And they were telling me that. And I was telling my friend at work that. And my friend at work said, your friends at the gym are nice people, but they're fools. And what they're telling you will wreck your life. God has a better purpose for your life. So I'm going to pray that you figure it out. And he goes, I was so mad at him. I guess his prayer worked, right? So he um, began to tell me he got in a growth group with some guys at his work. They started studying God's word together. Is his life perfect? No way. But what he did is he pointed his heart toward Jesus and said, I'm going to go that way. I'm going to go his way. And see, you were created to be in a relationship with God. And when you're in that relationship, it's, it's interesting. No matter what goes on in life, you're able to work through it. So that leads me to, to num- number two, guys. Number two is you've been made rich. Look what it says in verse five through seven. I want to read this to you. It says, for in him, in him, okay, I want you to remember that. For in him, everyone say, in him. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. I want to pause there for a second. You ever been flat broke? But you, amen, yeah, a bunch of us were like, it's post-Christmas, hello. 
I'm in the red right now, Pastor. Listen, you ever been flat broke but you felt rich? See, because the, the truth of the matter is having a full bank account is awesome, amen. But that's not what makes you rich. And this isn't a sermon on how to get rich. Well, maybe it is. It's a different kind of rich, though. There, there are preachers out there that tell you if you give to the church, God will make you wealthy. And that's a lie. I've given to the church my whole life, and I'm 10% poor. <laughs> I am. It's called sacrifice. Hello. God has always provided for me whatever I've really needed. He's always done. But I, you sacrifice. That's how it works. Because, remember, it's not about who? It's not about you. It's not about me. Right? So it says, for in him... You've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, with all kinds of knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. You eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So he's saying, you don't lack any gift. And here, here's a common misconception in the church is this. Is that, um, well, pastor, I can't preach. I can't lead worship. So therefore, I'm just here to, you know, get a little bit of God's word and support the ministry that you do. And here's what I want you to understand. That's a lie from the devil. God has a ministry for you. He has a plan for you. He's given anyone who has become a believer in Jesus, when you receive Jesus, he gave you the Holy Spirit of God living in you. And when you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, he also gives you spiritual gifts to use. See, I love what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. And the 9 o'clock service didn't get this verse. But look what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As fa- this is the part that blows my mind. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I don't know if you realize what the Bible's telling you is that when you serve others... You're a conduit of God's grace. It flows out of you. When you see church, when you see your life, that it's not about you. And what you need, you become a conduit of God's grace. You start thinking of other other people. And you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a worship leader. As a matter of fact, yesterday, there was a group of men that were down um, in the the hood in, in downtown Fresno. And um, they didn't have a guitar, they didn't have a mic, they didn't have any of that. They had Ryobi drills, craftsman tools, and they were building a playground at a church in in the hood. They were putting a fence up at a a lady's house in in another neighborhood. They were being the church. They were using the gifts they had as conduits of grace. And when you serve other people, God's grace flows out of you. And it's funny, it's never-ending. You just keep, you have it. So... Soren Kierkegaard, who's a famous Danish philosopher, he tells a story. I love it. He said, once upon a time, there was this duck village. It was a village full of ducks. And they all had their little duck houses. And they'd leave their little duck house every morning. And they'd go to their duck job. And they'd waddle down the street to their duck job. And they'd waddle down the street to their duck school. And they would learn to be ducks. And they would waddle around being ducks. And then on Sundays, they'd all waddle out of their duck house, down the little duck road, down to the little duck church. The duck pastor would stand up in the pulpit and they would sit in their little duck blue seats. And he would tell them, God has given you wings. You actually have the ability to fly. You don't have to waddle. You can fly. 
And they would listen and they'd say, wow, that was inspiring, pastor. And they would get up from their duck blue seats and the pastor would say, go be the church, ducks. And they would waddle out that building and then they would waddle back down the street, back to their duck house and they'd go about living their duck life. And occasionally they'd look up in the sky and they'd see a, a, a flock of ducks flying by and their heart would leap and they would say, that could be me. And then they'd just continue waddling. Ducks are funny like that, aren't they? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Leave it to Matt. Listen. So some of you, here's what you need to know. God, if, when you became a believer in Jesus, God gave you everything you need to serve him right now, today. You're like, pastor, my life's messed up. I got a drinking problem. I got this. I got that. My marriage isn't right. I, and here's the deal. That's a lie from the devil. If you wait to get it all right before you serve God, you'll never serve God. You have to understand that because you'll never have it right. And you are perfectly capable in whatever state you are to begin serving God and living your life for him where you're at and trusting that Jesus is going to take you where you need to be. This is the message of the scriptures. This is what we call sanctification. So, M. Scott Peck tells a story. He's the author of The Road Less Traveled. He was a psychologist back in the day, actually a psychiatrist um, years ago. And um, also one of the top selling books of all times too. And he had a patient that was, she had called him and said, I, I'm on the edge. I'm suffering this incredible depression. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to meet with you now. And he's like, I can't. I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm book solid and I have, I'm at the hospital all day tomorrow and I'm book solid all day at the hospital. You're going to have to wait a couple days. And she's like, I cannot wait. I have to see you. Please, please, please. And he said, listen, I, I mean, all I have literally is my lunch hour at the hospital if you can make it to the hospital, I can meet with you, I guess, during our lunch hour, but I'm going to be eating while you're talking to me. And she's like, that, that's fine. She called him back said, I can't make it to the hospital. I can't get a ride. I can't get a ride. Would you give me a ride? And he's like, I can't give you a ride. Yes, oh, not Nicole, right? Um, but he did. And he said, listen, I'm going to pick you up early in the morning. I'm going to be there all day. I won't be able to take you home until I'm done at the end of the day. You're just going to have to hang out at the hospital all day and we can meet at lunch. She says, I'll do it. I'm that desperate. So he brought her to the hospital. He got there, he said, stay here in the lobby and I'll, I'll come get you on my lunch hour. And she's in the lobby and she's read all the magazines, she's read the newspaper, she's bored out of her mind, she's inside her head, she's like sinking into this pit of despair. And he comes walking by and she's like, I'm so bored, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, why don't, you, um, why don't you get up and like just go from room to room and ask people if they need anything. She's like, I'm allowed to do that? I don't know, just do it. What are they going to do? Stop. So she did. And people will be like, oh, can you get the nurse to bring me some water? Sure. Oh, can you, can you get me a blanket? Oh, what's in the nurse? Got a blanket. She's starting to do this room to room to room. Peck comes and gets her. They meet for lunch. And she goes, I feel incredible. I feel incredible. I, I haven't felt this good in years. And he said, well, why is that? Why do you think that is? She goes, I'm, I just started helping other people. And I got outside of my head. My, everything in my life, and it, it was all focusing on me, and just, just for a few moments to like help other people that are actually worse off than me has been, been incredible. I feel great. And then M. Scott Peck said, well, now you know what you need to do. And she said, you expect me to do this every day? 
People are funny, aren't they? We're the same way. David Kinnaman from the Barna Group, sociologists, they, um, they did a study a few years back about beliefs in American culture. And um, they called the study, uh, after they did it, a new moral code. Because what they found is that uh, Americans, we, have a new moral code, a new way of seeing the world, a new um, val- set of values that, that we have. And they just asked a, a series of questions based on um, really kind of, do you agree Strongly agree, somewhat agree, or disagree, right? And, and tell me which one or the other. So I'm just going to read a couple of them. I'll comment on a few because I just can't keep my mouth shut. But it says here, the best way to find yourself is to look within yourself. 91% of U.S. adults agreed. 76% of practicing Christians agreed. What was the first point? It's not about you. I see so many people that go try and find themselves and all they get is a nice vacation. They never found themselves. People should not criticize someone else's lifestyle choices. 89% agreed. To be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things you desire most. Right? Isn't that what my friend's gym buddies were telling them? 86% agreed. 72% of Christians agreed. The highest goal in life is to enjoy it as much as possible. Pleasure, right, is the, is the God. 84% agreed. 66% of Christians agreed. People can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, that's great. I want you to think about that for a minute. What if you said that to Martin Luther King? Hey, this whole equal rights thing, that's great. You believe that. That's your truth. Don't be pushing it on us. Are you kidding? 79% of Americans agreed. 61% of Christians agreed. Any type of sexual expression between two consenting adults is acceptable. 69% of Americans agreed. 40% of Christians agreed. And as they went on in this study, what they realized is that the new moral code for um, Americans, for us Westerners, is self-fulfillment is the highest value. And it's do whatever you can to feel self-fulfilled. And if you feel self-fulfilled and it's not hurting anyone else, go get it. And what I want you to know is you can be a very good person chasing down self-fulfillment, but at the end of your life, you've just been driving around and not found anything because you will never feel self-fulfilled. It, it's fleeting. It comes and it goes because your life begins and it ends in Jesus. So, That leads me to my last point, if I could find it. Number three, here's the deal. He will keep you firm in the end. Look at the last three verses, or two verses of this this passage. He'll keep you firm in the end. Verse eight and nine, it says, he will also keep you firm in the end. Huh, I wonder where I got that point. Um, So that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I I want you to know about that verse. It's not saying that you're going to act blameless, okay? That's bad news, all right? Um, The the truth of the matter is, how many of you have tried to act blameless and you just can't do it? Anyone? Anyone here struggle with sin? You know what the problem with sin is? There's no riddle in it. The problem with sin is it's got I in the middle of it. Because it's all about me, right? And see, sin, 
It, it, it says this, it says, he will keep you firm in the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, God is faithful. Sean is not faithful. Sean fails God all the time. But God is faithful. And he says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me, let me explain to you what I, what I mean by that, or what Paul meant by that, okay? Is, here's the deal. The, the way God keeps you blameless is this. Um, the Bible's really clear that every human on earth, we all sin. We always are sinning. We're, we struggle with sin all the time. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags compared to God. Even when I'm trying to be good, I'm still sinning. I still have, anyone here ever done a good deed with selfish motives? Yeah. I remember I was at a homeless shelter serving once, and this lady in our church came. She's like, I'm so angry. And I'm like, why? And she's all, they won't let me serve. This place is a dump. I'm out of here. And I'm like, oh, who are we here serving? See, our, the Bible says that my sin, even one little sin, let alone the many I've committed in my life, has separated me from God. I can't have a relationship with God because of that sin. Now, there are many people, they know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They have an acquaintance with God even. But they don't have a relationship with God. And you can't have a relationship with God because our sin pulls us away from him. And God can't be with sin. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. But here's the good news. The Bible also said, though, but while we were yet sinners, while Sean was still a sinner, Christ died for us. And, and see, I can be separated from God, and I can do all kinds of good stuff. I can, I can uh, be part of a, a social action group. I can like all the good causes on Facebook or Instagram that, and, and Snapchat that, that, that are out there. I can give money to the poor. I can be a member at Clovis Hills Church. I can, I can do all those good things. None of those things are good enough to get you into heaven because your sin is greater. And God can't be with sin, period. And it says here, it says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus. And here's, here's what that means. Is that God, once, once you receive him, you have a different relationship with him. You're called into a new relationship with him. So uh, I was in Israel a couple years ago and I was at the hotel and I was hanging out by the pool. And I love this story. It's such a great illustration because this, there's these guys, they're Israeli guys, and they're speaking Hebrew to each other. And this little boy came up, and he started tugging on the guy's trunks, going, Abba, 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 Abba. And at first he's like, Abba, Abba. Abba is Hebrew for daddy. And all of a sudden, you know, eventually the dad realizes, oh, it's my little boy. He looks down at him, he smiles, and he says something in Hebrew to him, and he just scoops him up in his arms, and he's holding him, and he goes about talking, and the boy's completely content now in his arms, and the dad's going about his work. Here's the thing. I know the common vernacular is that all human beings on the planet are God's children, and that's kind of a half-truth. I get it, because God is the creator of all people, so in a sense, we're all God's children. But do you know what it says in John 1.12? What God's word says is this. But as many as received him, to those that have received Jesus, is what they're talking about. To those who believe in his name, he's given them a right to be called children of God. 
So what happens is I'm separated from God and when I receive Christ and all that is is pointing my heart and saying, I believe. I believe I'm a sinner and I believe you died for my sins. And when I receive Christ, I actually enter into, God calls me into a new relationship. I'm now his child. I now belong to him. I can now tug on his swimsuit and say, Abba, 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 my life is hard. Things are rough. What's going on? And my father will pick me up and go about his work. And you can have an re- actual relationship with God. God is not a Facebook friend to you. You actually have a relationship with the living God. And you have an eternity with the living God. But until you receive him, you can't have that. And the Bible is very clear. It says in Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. This is that whole receiving Christ motif that he's talking about. That Jesus stands at the door of your life and says, I'm the beginning of your life. I'm the purpose of your life. I'm the end of your life. And if you will receive me, I will come in and change your life. But he's given you the choice whether you'll do that or not. He'll never force himself on you. For some of you, you did that long ago. And at some point in your life, you ran away from God. And maybe today you're here and you're like, I don't know how I got in church today, but man, I feel super guilty. You don't have to feel guilty at all because here's the good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's, here's the other good news. God never left you or forsook you. He held right on to you. You dragged him headlong into the world, into your sin, and he's never let go of you. He's just looking at you saying, you tired? You ready to come home? And the good, you know, in the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, that son left and lived like hell, sinned it up, and never once was he disowned as a son. The father just waited for him to come home. For, for some of you, you've already received Jesus, but today's your homecoming. Yeah, clap it up. <laughs> we ready? So, for others of you, Today's the new start. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And will you listen? Will you open it up and allow him in? Let's pray.